Well, good morning, everyone. Mitzvah Shabbos Kedesh Parshas Vayishlach, and uh, we're learning Gemara and Adarim. We are up to that Memvavam and Aleph. We completed the Mishnah, but just to give you a little introduction to the subject of Brera, because Brera is a subject that involves many different Gemaras. It's primarily in in Gemara Beya, Gitten, uh, primarily Gemara Gitten. And then mentioned a number of other places as well. And Sukkah, we had it. Other places, Ervin, we have a lot of Brera. And Babakama. And interesting that this Gemara here has a, um, a major bearing on the whole subject of Brera, but nowhere does the Gemara actually use the word Brera or the term Brera. It's all in the explanation of the Roshanim based on the Gemara Babakama. So, in a nutshell, there are two kinds of Brera. One is called a toile bedas acherim, and one is called a toile bedas atzmai. One is the idea of brayer is before you get to that. The idea of brayer is that you 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 do something today, and you haven't yet worked out exactly how you want it to turn out. You're waiting for an event that will take place later, and you want it to take place retrospectively, and you need retrospectivity, which I'll give you a couple examples in a minute. So that's the general concept of Brera, but there's two kinds. One is where it's totally up to you personally, and one is where it's dependent on other people. So for example, Toile Bedas Atman. Toile Bedas Atman is somebody who has two wives with exact identical names. He knows he can't live with both of them. He has to divorce one of them. So he writes a get, but he doesn't know which one he'll divorce. And when you write a get, you have to have in mind the woman that you're going to divorce. So he writes a get and he says, Whichever one walks out the door first, like my Yiftach, whoever walks out the door first, that's the one that's going to be divorced. Now, at this juncture, I have no idea who it's going to be. But I need to know right now because otherwise it's not a proper get. In order for get to be proper, so the cost of law, it has to be Lishmo. You have to have the right woman in mind. So I want is that later on, whoever comes out the door first, I want it retrospectively that the get when it was written was written for her. But this kind of a brera is Bedas atzmai. In other words, here there are a number of Amarayim who say that everyone, in this case here, we rule ain brera. Why? The whole idea of brera is that, that we want to give it some certitude. We want to say that it's definitely happened. What happens later is retrospective. But the fact is you could have chosen right now. You didn't choose right now, which means right now you don't really know which one you want. So how is it that tomorrow when she walks out the door, suddenly... That means that today you wanted her. You could have wanted her, whichever one you wanted. You're telling us you don't know. Where does retrospectivity come in here? That's why a number of, of Tanaim hold that there's no um, Brera in this case. However, what about in the case with Tolub Das Acherim? I put an air of Tchumen. I want to walk further than the town. I heard a big rabbi is coming to town. I don't know where he's coming, east or the west. There, I, I, it's not a question. I'm, I'm, I want to hear the rabbi. I just don't know where he's coming from. So this is totally And I need retrospectivity because the Tchum has to take place before Shabbos. But I won't know till Shabbos morning. So in this case here, they say that could be, yes, you know, and in this case over here, it could be yes, Brera. I definitely am happy. Whatever the thing will be, I want that. I just don't know which one it is. So these are two branches of, of Brera. Just one second, my battery's dying again.
Okay. Okay, so, so here we have two kinds of, of, of Brera. We also had an example where um, a person buys a barrel of wine right before Shabbos, and there's no time to give Truman Meiser. So he says the two, you know, Leugen that I'm going to, to uh, separate, but so Shabbos will be the Truman and everything else should be permitted. And again, over here, there's an argument that we say, yes, Brera and Brera. But here also, it's Tehlebedas Atma. It's totally up to me whether I want to. Uh... It's totally up to me whether I want um... the I, I, I mean, which one should be Truma, shouldn't be Truma. So again, that's called Tehlebedas Atma. Then we have a discussion. Let's say there is no Brera. Let's say there's no Brera. So what does that mean? Does that mean that nothing happened? Well, that means it happened, but it's not sorted out. So for example, in this very case, I said two Lugan that I'm going to set aside in Mitzvah Shabbos um, is going to be Truma. So, and we say Ein Brera. So what does that mean? Does that mean there's no Truma in this barrel at all until you set aside and start Truma then? Or does it mean that the two Lugan became Truma? But it's not separated. It's mixed in the barrel. And tomorrow night, when you'll take draw two lugan out, who knows if it's the same ones or not? How do we understand your brayer? Anyway, in halacha we rule that in matters of the rabbanon we say ein brayer, and in matters of questions of the Torah we say sorry. In matters of laws of the rabbanon we say yesh brayer. So like Truman, for example, we could put Truman on both sides and then if the rabbi comes in one side or another, we'll say that all along it was good and you can use that at Truman, that air of Truman to walk, extend your distance that you can walk out of the city, outskirts of the city. And um, when it comes to matters of the Torah, we say ain't brera. So in the case of the two women, you want to divorce the women, ain't, ain't brera, you cannot use this divorce to, to, uh, to divorce any of the women. Machlekes and the Rishonim, what exactly does that mean? According to the Rambam, it means as follows. We don't know. At the end of the day, we don't know what the law is. Yes, Brera, ain't Brera. So we have a general rule. Whenever it's a question of the Torah, we always take the stricter side. And whenever it's a question of the Rabbis, we take the lenient side. So the Rabbanon will say, yes, Brera. Makes things easier. In the Torah, we'll say, ain't Brera. So what happens if, for example, the... It's, no, it's only because of a suffix. We don't know which way to go. The other view, the, the Mashal, Yam Shlemer, he says, no, it's a definitive law. The laws of the Torah will say, ain't Brera, and laws of the Rabbanon will say, yes, Brera. That's the general overview of Brera. And that is why Algamar is going to be very difficult to understand. And uh, when we get to the part that people understand, I'll explain to you, and because of the difficult Algamar, some people change everything around that I just told you. But one thing I told you right now is a general overview we glean from everywhere in Shas. That's how we generally learn. So in our, let me give a quick, uh, in our case of here, where does, where does Brayer even come in? So the first case in our Mishnah was there were two partners who, who shared a courtyard. Because in those days, a courtyard was a foreyard and everything was done in the courtyard. And uh, they shared a courtyard. And then one person, they both said to each other, you have no, you will not, you cannot have any benefit from myself. So the Chachamim say, well, you cannot walk into the courtyard because we're following the opinion that says that even just walking, trespassing is also considered a benefit and it's forbidden. And Rabbi, and Rabbi Lezben Yaakov says, no, you could walk in the courtyard. In other words, Lezben Yaakov says, 
So the Gemara Baba Kama says, what's going on here? They're arguing on the principle of Breira or Ein Breira. That Rebbe says, yes, Breira, which means when you're walking in the courtyard, you're in my share, on my portion of the courtyard. Ben, where, did, where is it? We lost it. And when... Um, when you're walking in the, uh, the and, and the other person walking the courtyard is walking in his portion of the courtyard because you believe in Yash Brera. So that's where Brera comes in over here. And that's the first case in our Mishnah. The next case, in our, in, and then the Mishnah continues, but you cannot put an oven or a mill into the courtyard. And why not? Because even though generally partners, you know, allowed each other to put those things in the courtyard, but technically I can prevent you from doing it. And if I don't prevent you, that in itself is already considered a benefit. And therefore you cannot do that. Okay. Then the next case in the mission is what happens instead of both of them prohibiting each other, only one of them. So you have Reuben and Shimon and Shimon said to Reuben, I want you to have any benefit from me. So the same argument. So uh, can Reuben walk into the courtyard? He's a partner. According to the rabbis, no, because he's trespassing on the other person's share as well, Ain Brera. According to him, and according to Rabbi Yaakov, yes, he can. In fact, why does the Mishnah have to even repeat this case? The principle is the same, because it's the next line in the Mishnah. The next line in the Mishnah is, but we force the person who made the vow. The person said, I will not have any benefit from you, let's say. I will not have any benefit from you, so he cannot walk into this courtyard. He has to sell his share. Why does he have to sell his, he has to break up, dissolve the partnership and sell out. Why does he have to sell out? Because he put himself in a situation where he might become envious. He, the partner can walk around the courtyard, do whatever he wants, and he can't. So he might either forget or he'll be envious and he'll do it anyway. So he'll breach his own vow. You put yourself in a very invidious position. And therefore we say that you have to dissolve the partnership and sell out. And then... Um, that's how, uh, that, and that's what the Mishnah means when we say that he has, to, he has to sell out. But when it comes, now, what's the problem? Rebbe Yaka says you're allowed to walk in the courtyard regardless. So what's the problem? The problem is the oven and the stove. And even though technically, if I'm jealous, I can stop the partner from putting in the oven and the stove, but I'll be too embarrassed. Everybody, all partners allow that. How can, you know, everyone will become public knowledge that I don't allow him. So it, I'm embarrassed. And therefore, it can lead me to come to do a sit. That is the view of the Ran and Moshe Shainim. However, and the Ran clearly says, but if I said to the person, if I said to, the, to my, my partner, you cannot have any benefit from me, then the partner who cannot, you know, put an oven and all that in, but the, par um, but the partner cannot, um, what do you call it? Um, he does not have to sell out his position. Why not? The partner might end up doing a sin. He might be jealous of me putting in an oven. It's because otherwise, every time two partners are together and I want to force you to, do, to get out of the partnership, I'll just put a net there on you and say, you cannot have anything to do with me. And therefore, you're going to have to sell. That's not fair. The Rambam learns exactly the opposite. And the Rambam learns as follows, based on an interesting, this fundamental discussion. What happens if there were two people, uh, let's say Reuben and Shimon, and Reuben says to Shimon, I ban you from having any benefit from me. And then Shimon goes ahead and does benefit from Reuben. Who committed the sin? Reuben, the one who made the vow, or Shimon, the one who's on the receiving end of the vow? Shimon was told you don't have any benefit from Reuben, but Reuben is the one who made the vow. So everyone learns practically, that Reuben uh, is, is not, didn't make doing a sin. He didn't do anything wrong. He didn't walk into the house. He was allowed to. It's Shimon. 
Shimon was told he's not permitted, he's forbidden to walk into Reuben's house. There's a, there's a nether out there, and he walked in. So Shimon is guilty, and he will get 39 lashes. The Rambam disagrees. He says that Reuben is the one who committed a sin, because the Torah says, don't breach your words. Who's the one who made the words? Who's the one who said the words? It was Reuben. So therefore, Reuben is guilty, even though Shimon was the one who walked into the house, but Shimon didn't make any promises. He never said anything. What's up to do with him? It's Reuben who's guilty. So therefore, the Rambam learns in our Gemara, the case would be exactly the opposite. That if, if Reuben said to Shimon that you cannot have any benefit from me, then um, if Reuben said to Shimon, you cannot have a benefit from me, that's when uh, uh, has to, uh, what do you call it? Reuben has to sell out because Reuben is the one who will be committing a sin here. Not Shimon, Reuben, the one who made the promise. And then that was the next case in the mission. The next case in the mission was if, let's say, a third party could walk into the property. For example, if, if one of the partners said to the third party, you have no right to walk in. Same principle. According to the rabbis, yes, because he can, uh, according to the rabbis, he cannot walk in because Aim Brera, he'll be walking in, he'll be trespassing on one of the partners that forbade him to walk in. And the uh, Rabbi Ziyak says, you could walk in because he can say, I'm, not, I'm walking into the other parties. A share of the property, not yours. The Rajma says that only works if he's actually going into the property to deal with and associate with the other partner. But otherwise, he can't walk into the property. Then the next case we had was, what happens if Reuben and Shimon got into a fight? And Reuben said to Shimon, I don't want you to have any benefit from me. Reuben happens to be a landlord, owns a number of properties in town, and they're all leased out. And one of them happens to be the public bathhouse. Can Shimon use that public bathhouse? There's a lessee there. There's somebody else in charge. But Reuben ultimately is the landlord. Is it considered Reuben's house, and therefore this um, Shimon cannot walk into it or not? So the mission says it depends. If Reuben still has some ties to that house, it's called Tfisa's Yad, then Shimon cannot walk in there. But if he has no ties to the house, then Shimon can. What is the definition of ties? We'll see in the Gemara in a minute. And then the last case we had was if a person said to his to his friend, your house is forbidden to me. Then the law is as long as that person is alive or the owner of the house, you cannot walk in. But the moment that person sells it to a third party or dies, you could walk in because I stressed your house. But if I said, this house is forbidden to me, then regardless of who the owner is, you can sell it to anybody you want, I cannot walk into the house. In other words, this house is far stricter than your house. On the other hand, your house is stricter. Because what happens if the house uh, let's say the house is, um, is demolished and you build a brand new house. Can I walk into that house? If I said your house, it's still your house. So I cannot walk in. But if I said this house, well, this is no longer the original house. So I could walk in. So it works both ways. So now we're up to the Gemara here. Says the Gemara. We have a question. How do we understand the mission? The Gemara is saying now, now we can understand the mission two ways. One way is when the rabbi said that you have two partners and one of them and they banned each other from walking in. The reason why you, they banned each other, so the reason why you, the rabbi said you're not allowed to walk into the property is maybe really yesh brera. Really, each person really owns 100% or 15 of 100%. In other words, when you're walking in the property, you can say, ah, you're walking in on that other person's share. I'm working on my own share. There's no problem. But we penalize you. We don't like this situation where you uh, make the Durham and therefore we penalize you for, ba for, um, for banning yourself from the other person's property. We don't want you to walk in there at all. It's a penalty. And if that, is that the reason why? So what happens if then if one of the people say to the other person, you cannot walk into my property, on my side of the property? Since 
it's not fair to make a penalty in this case because the the the, 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 the uh, I guess the one on the receiving end of the vow didn't do anything wrong. Why should it be penalized? Then maybe the rabbis will say he could walk around the property because he owns a share of it. So when he's walking, he say, "I'm walking on my, you know, on my share of the property." Or it's, that's unrelated to penalties. It's purely a question of Brera, and the rabbis do not believe a Brera, and therefore every single inch of that property is owned by both of you, and therefore you cannot walk there. Says the Gemara. Ibailu. The question is, Benidrai Pli, they're arguing in a case where I made the nether, I made the vow. What about Hidiru Zemai? What about um, that each one said the other one is forbidden? Me, Amrin, do we say? That, um, but only by Nidra, when I placed upon, I imposed upon myself a ban. I said, I won't have anything to do with you. That's when we argue because we should penalize you because it's not the normal behavior. But if they banned each other, so perhaps they concede to Lezim and Yaakov that either party can walk in. They're considered, it's not their fault. They found themselves in a situation. You put me in this, you know, you 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 uh, forbade me to walk onto your share of the property. So why in the world would you penalize that person? So therefore, you could walk and say, "This is my share." I do not feel the arguing in all cases, Rabban, because we don't believe in Brera. We don't believe that it's so that we don't know what, what what who belongs to what and what belongs to who, and therefore, um, it is forbidden. Tashma, come in here. The Gemara is going to attempt to prove it from our Mishnah. At the end, the Gemara is going to remain with a question we haven't resolved. Tashma, come in here. It says in the Mishnah, if one of them is forbidden Hanah from his friend, he cannot have any benefit from his friend, and it sounds like you put a ban on me from walking into the property, and yet Upligi Rabban, Rabban said, I'm not allowed to walk in the property. So it's clearly from here, why can't I walk in the property? No penalties there, I, I didn't do any wrong. It's purely because of Ein Berera. There's no sorting out, we don't know who, what, who owns what, and therefore I cannot step foot on that property. Says Gemara, your proof is not valid. And why not? All mudr means is that I am forbidden to walk on your property. But who imposed that prohibition on me? You can learn two ways. Either I brought it upon myself, I made this vow, or you made this vow towards me. It's not proven either way. So therefore, perhaps the mission is talking about a case where I brought it upon myself. Even though the mission uses the word mudr, which means that I am the one that is forbidden to go, but how do we know who placed that uh, prohibition? Say, read it as if I made a nether, I will not have anything to do with my friend, have not any benefit. And how can I say, I'll prove it to you. The Tani Seifert says in the Seifert, the Kaifers, we forced the person who made the nether, Limkar's Chalka, to sell his share. Now, if you say, I brought it upon myself, makes sense. Why are we imposing the penalty? You have to sell your share. Or, 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 you know, repeal your nether. That's why it says kaifin. That's why it says kaifin. We force you. If you learn that the other person put a nether on me that I shouldn't benefit, am I kaifin? I said, why in the world would you force me to sell my property because he put a nether? Hamein is honest. It's not my fault. You can't force me to sell my property because my partner put a nether on me. It's his problem, not my problem. So the Gemara doesn't resolve it, which means from our Gemara, we don't know, Brera or Embrera. We don't know which way it is. So we'll come back to that later. Now we have an interesting argument. In the Mishnah in Barbasa, there's a whole discussion. Partners, can I force my partner to dissolve the partnership? You know, we're no longer friends. I want to dissolve the partnership. How does it work? Are we partners for life? 
So the Mishnah there gives us a number of different examples where you can uh, force a situation of, of the solution of a partnership, provided that the remainders of this asset is sufficient for both parties. So for example, on a property in a house, and a courtyard, you want to divide the courtyard, not divide the house, divide the courtyard. And the courtyard, there has to be a minimum of a space in order to allow them to put the place things there, they should bring the donkey in. So every doorway needs four amas. Actually, I take it back. The, the doorway needs four amas extended into the property, four amas with, they used to park their donkey, their mules over there. They need space. So you need, first of all, each, each house to have a door with four amas. Whether every door of the house gets it or not, we'll learn about Basra and Agmed or But at least one door needs to have a space, a, a four amas depth into the chatzar and the width of four amas. Then within the chatzar itself, each one needs a space of another four square amas because they will put their oven there, they will place things there, they need space. So you need to have a minimum of 16 amas square in a chatzar before I can force you to dissolve this partnership. But if let's say it's less than that, then neither of them have sufficient space there to do use a chatzar and make you know, maximum use of it, uh, to use it properly. So therefore then the thing is you cannot force each other to sell. What you could do is use the famous principle of good or good. Good means either, I, uh, either um, you sell, uh, you buy me out, or oh good, I will buy you out. And we're going to learn that in more of a That's how we dissolve a partnership. So the question is, the argument in our Gemara here, whether you say Brera or not Brera, is it applying in a case where the Chatzar is large enough that we can force each other to, uh, to divide the property? And, but, but the fact is, we haven't divided the property yet. So we say, you know, yes, Brera, it's as if we divided already, or a Brera or not. Or are we talking about a chatzah that ain't in chalukah, chatzah that's too small to divide? And we say the yesh brera that every step of the way while I'm there is mine, or ain't brera, you know, we're both mixed the whole time, as we'll explain in a minute. So, first, we have an argument between Rabbi and Rabbi Yesu, and they're both arguing what Ziri said. Amma Rabbi, Amma Ziri. Rabbi said in the name of Ziri. Machlek is the whole argument is kishi yesh chalukah. They're only arguing in a case where the courtyard is large enough that we could divide it. If it's not large enough to divide, then everyone agrees that it's permitted. And why would, what's going on? What's the difference? It goes as follows. The whole idea of Brera is that we don't know right now what's going to be, and we're going to sort out later and make it retrospective. So the, but in the case of a Chatzar, so what was our arrangement from the beginning? It's too small. What was our arrangement? Our arrangement, the way the round explains it as follows. Each one of us owns not half, but the entire property, because it's indivisible. The only thing that we're dividing is the time. When I use it, there's no space for you. When you use it, there's no space for me. But I, each one of us at the moment owns the entire property. So therefore, when it comes to everything is sorted out basically. And But what? We don't know the time, the time schedule. So the braver that we need over here is minimal. The retrospectivity involved is very is very minimal because the ownership has all been settled and sorted out. It's only a question of time. While I'm using it, it's totally mine. When you're using it, it's totally yours. So in this case, everybody agrees yes, Brera. So therefore, if we make a ban on each other, each one of us can work on it while we're there. It's totally ours. They're arguing in a case where the chutz can be divided. In the case where the chutz can be divided, they could have divided the first day from the very beginning. We just didn't. Therefore, in this case over here, 
We could, we could have divided, we didn't. So what do we actually have in the property now? What we have is as follows. I have a right to the entire property, but I don't own the entire property because the property is divisible. I only own 50%. But, but what do I have? I have a right to 100% of the property because we're partners and we didn't divide it yet. So there's no imaginary line here. I can use the whole property and you can use the whole property. So we both have rights to the whole property, but we both have ownership only of 50% of the property. Versus when it's aimed by the Chaluka, you cannot divide it. So each one of us has 100% ownership of the property while we're in, while it's in my use. So in a Chatzah Chaluka, because I only own 50% of the property, but I have rights to the whole property. If you place a nether and you say that my property, you know, my property is, um, or I place said that I said I don't have anything to do with your property. To me, your property is like hectic. To me, your property is like a carbon. So then, fifty percent of the property, right, which is yours, is forbidden to me. And even though I have a hundred percent of the right of the property, my hectic overrides my rights. Hectic cannot override ownership because I had previous ownership, but can override my rights. So now it belongs to Hegdish. So therefore, that's the argument. Their argument is, if you say Brera, but when is that? Only if you say Ein Brera. But if you believe in Yesh Brera, which means that whatever that Yesh Brera is, that whatever I'm working on, that's totally mine. It's, it's, it's now my property, and therefore, the Hegdish cannot overturn ownership. So they're only arguing in the case where the property is, is large enough to be divisible. But the, the property is indivisible, then each one has as full ownership, and it's only a question of time. Everybody agrees in this case we'll say yes, Brera, because it's not really much. It's definitely mine while I use it, definitely yours while you use it. So when I walk on it, it's mine. And the Brera is only the times, but that you know that's sort of made up already. So very minimal use of Brera. That's Rabba's view. Omar Rabbi Yisrael said, we're going to learn the next Mishnah. If two people made these modern got into a big fight, we're going to learn that there's certain things that belong to the entire world. Things that belong to the entire world, nobody, it's like Hefke, nobody has any rights to it. But things that are communal property, for example, a shul. A shul, every person in that shul, every member pays money, contributes money. Everyone is an owner of that shul. So what happens in a shul? If you walk in, according to the rabbis, the whole aim brayer, and I say, I don't want you to have any benefit from anything that belongs to me. Well, I have a share in the shul. You can no longer walk in the shul. How do we know that their seat is not really what, what belongs to me? In Barrera, we, don't, we haven't sorted out ownership, who owns what, you can no longer walk in the shul. If you hold yes, Barrera, then you could walk into the shul. Now, a shul is indivisible. I can't force people to buy me out or take you over to sell the shul. It's indivisible. You cannot divide the shul amongst the people of the community. And therefore, it's according to you, you said that everybody agrees the shul is indivisible, we'll say yes, Brera. So why can't people walk into the shul even though we banned each other? I'm sitting in my section, I'm walking in my, my area. So doesn't that prove that even though it's indivisible, if you, the, the same argument of Brera still applies? Says Rabbi Yosef. It's tantamount to a, to a, a yard that has that, that's indivisible. And yet, we learned in the Mishnah, they're both forbidden. They're both forbidden, something that belongs to the community. And if we banned each other from having any pleasure from, from, what, from myself, then you cannot walk into a bathhouse, you cannot walk into a shul, let's say a public bathhouse, because everyone has a share in it and everyone has ownership. And you're having benefit from another person's ownership. 
Hello, Rabbi Yisuf. I'm a Ziri. Says Rabbi Yisuf, name is Ziri. Exactly the opposite. You know when the argument is? When there's no If the courtyard is large enough to be divided, then you have to apply the rules of Brera. And everyone agrees that ain't Brera. Everyone agrees ain't Brera. What are they arguing in? They're arguing in, in a, uh, an, an indivisible courtyard, and the rabbis still maintain that ain't Brera. So, so obviously you cannot walk into the courtyard because you're walking also on that person's property, share of the property. But Rabbi Rav Yaakov says, in this case, the Brera is less of a Brera because most of the, uh, the, the negotiations sort out already that each one of us owns the entire property during our use. It's only a question of which times is for me, which times are for you. And therefore, that kind of brain perhaps is allowed. That we say, in this case, yes, Brera. Now, this caused a lot of problems because the Gemara concludes it clearly that we say yes, Brera, at least to a certain extent. The problem is that we just said before that the halach is when it comes to matters of the Torah, we say ain't Brera. In the case of the two women walking, you know, he wrote a get for both for, for one of the wives, both have the same names. We say that it's not a valid get. He shouldn't be using that get because ain't Brera. So how can our Gemara rule like Rabbi Lezim and Yaakov that yes, Brera, the law of the Torah? So this put a spanner in the whole su subject of Brera or not. So Rabbi Tam comes along and says, as a result of that, since the halach is, we say, ain't Brera by the Torah, I'm going to change the whole shot in the Gemara. And this Gemara has, we, we conclude that the reason why the halach is Rabbi Lezim and Yaakov are not for the reason that he says, nothing to do with Brera. You know why the halach is Rabbi Yaakov? Because we believe that walking, trespassing on a property is not called hana. We call it vitur. Vitur means to people generally forego it. And uh, what's a big deal? Somebody walks on your property. And if I walk on your property, what benefit do I really have? It's not really, it's not tangible. It's minimal. It's nothing. And that's why it's permitted. Nothing to do with Brera. Because Brera, the rule is ain't Brera. So how can we rule here that two partners can walk on the property? Which means, according to this, if uh, um, if I clearly specified that you should not walk on the property, then you wouldn't be able to. The re, as a result of this question, was exactly the opposite. He concludes, must be that, therefore, forget everything else we talked about, and the final ruling of Gemara is, yes, Brera. Because of this Gemara right here, that Mahatayra, yes, Brera. Not like we said before. And then you have the Ran, who said that the, this kind of Brera, because it's so minimal, will say, yes, Brera. But everywhere else will say aim brain. Okay, next Kamara. So we said that if I ban someone having any benefit from me, and I happen to be a landlord. So it depends if I still have connections to that property or not. So how do we understand that? So we said if the landlord has some tfisas yad has some connection, then um, the, that's forbidden. What's going on here? You know what tfisas yad is? Like you have these uh, shopping centers now that not only they charge you rent, but they also get a, a share in the revenue. Okay, one, two percent, whatever your turnover is. So um, Rabbi Nachman says, if the landlord has a share in the profits, gets a share in the revenue or the profits, if he gets half or even a third or even a quarter, it's substantial enough that we say the landlord still has ownership of the property. And therefore, that person cannot walk onto this onto the site. Anything less than that, no. Anything, anything less than a quarter is not is not substantial. Abayi says, I feel a says, even less than that, even one percent. If this landlord gets any share of the of the profits or of the revenue, then the landlord is a partner. And it doesn't, it doesn't, 
you don't get diluted when it comes to money matters. It doesn't, you don't say, you know, that it gets diluted and it doesn't get diluted and therefore you're not allowed to walk into the house. Not everyone agrees what I just said that the word butza means less than a quarter. Some say butza means eggs. In fact, the Ran says butza is supposed to be beya, eggs. And what does that mean? It means as follows. If this landlord is permitted to station a kiosk in the middle of this bathhouse and sell dozens of egg eggs there, then he has still a connection to that little bathhouse. You know, there's some mikvahs around in New York. After you go out of the mikvah, they sell you cholent and kishka and kugel there. They have a little kiosk right in the mikvah. That's what they, so the Iran said, if they had a kiosk right there in the bathhouse to sell food, then the land was still involved. You, the person that has been forbidden to have any benefit from the landlord, cannot walk in there. Uh, the other opinion is, they read it, bitzes. Bitzes means that you can walk in there and uh, they used to take you know, dirt and water and make clay pot uh, pottery. If he had a little kiosk or a little room there where he can make pottery in the bathhouse, I mean, he still has a connection. So any connection at all means that the landlord still has a hand in that, in that property and you cannot then enter the property. However, so the mission says that if there's no physician, you can, what does that mean? The mekabel betaska, that, what do you mekabel betaska? So there's um, one way of looking. Okay, tasking means as follows. What happens, some say tasking means literally a fixed rent. If he pays a fixed rent, there's no revenue, share revenue, there's nothing else, just pays a normal rent. That's called a tasker. And then the landlord doesn't really have any ownership because the, land, the, the tenant is in charge of this property, totally in charge of the property. And therefore, the, another person can walk into this property. The problem with this Gemara is, and all the Rishayim deal with it, is another Gemara that clearly says that the landlord decides to take the tenant's house, which he owns, and consecrate it and makes it Kodesh, the tenant can no longer step into there. He's stealing from Hegdish. So there we say clearly the landlord has the right to make it Hegdish. And here we say that if he's not Fisazian, all he's doing is getting rent, the landlord is no longer connected to this property. Now, remember, when you ban somebody, you make a nether and you say it's forbidden for you to have pleasure, you're using the word koinim. Koinim means that that should be like a carbon, hectish. And uh, what's going on here? So how come you're saying here that if he's not involved in the share in the revenue, uh, he cannot ban this house from another person? So that caused a lot of issues. So there's a number of answers. One answer is the difference between our Gemara and this Gemara is as follows. Our Gemara is talking about where the tenant prepaid the entire rent. So because the tenant prepaid the entire rent, then the landlord no longer has a connection to this property. But the Gemara over there is talking about where the tenant is paying on a monthly basis or pays all the way at the end. So the landlord is still involved in the property. And that's why you can make it English. That's one view. Another view is there's a difference over there is talking about, he told the tenant, I'm renting you a house. So I can make this house hectic because I'll give you another house to live in. Algar is talking about when he said, I'm renting you this house. And because he said, I'm renting you this house, if the landlord is not getting a share of the revenue, he's no longer involved. The Ran says that when we say uh, task over here, it's not rent, the normal rent, because then a landlord still has a hand in the house and the landlord can make a Kurdish. It's talking about like these 99-year leases, you know, in Canberra or whatever, in Hawaii, where there's a lease, a fixed price, but the landlord can't throw you out of the house. It's not like a normal landlord and tenant relationship. And therefore, because it's not like a normal landlord and tenant relationship, it's um, even though he's getting some income from it, it's a tenant's house completely.
even though I was reading that in Israel right now, that major problems because the church owns big parts of Rechavia, it's coming up the release, and everybody's worried what's going to happen soon. You can throw them, technically, when the lease is up, they can throw them out and take the houses away. So, um, so that's what it means here. The landlord is no longer involved. That's when the tenant can walk in. If the landlord is still involved, then the tenant cannot walk in. This is also the basis if you're staying in a hotel in the, on Shabbos. And uh, if you want to make the carry within the parameters of the hotel itself, you know, there's proper walls, but there's no area of no chaseris. So they say that because the landlord has tfises yad, and the tfises yad here there is because he, the furniture belongs to the landlord. He can take the fridge out of the room if he wants to. He can take the TV out. He can do whatever he wants. Therefore, the landlord well, has tfises yad in all the rooms. So it's one owner and one landlord, and therefore you don't need an area. So what were you saying? Yeah. It may have been, I just lost it. It, it. I lost the last minute. It may have been just my internet connection. Uh, no, we we're just talking about a hotel on Shabbos that you can carry in the parameters of the hotel. If the owner is one owner, not certain rooms belong to other people, but it's one owner. And the owner has Fisaziad, has a hand in every room because they have their own furniture and they can take it out and they can force you to shift rooms. So therefore they have control. And, um, and that's why it's considered one owner and you don't need an air of Okay. 